Chapter 9 of King Mambo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. King Mambo by Paul Duchalu. King Mambo gives me the stick, O Memba. I leave the village on a hunting trip. Parting injunctions, a herd of hippopotami. Some days after the sorcery trial, King Mambo sent for me. When I arrived, I saw that there were a great many people who had come from many different villages. The king was seated, and bade me sit by his side. He had an old silk hat on his head. His coat was split up the back to let the air in. Then ensued a great silence. No one dared to speak. King Mambo rose. He held a stick in his hand and said to me, Ogwizi, the stick I hold in my hand is known all over my country as belonging to me. And when I send word anywhere, I send it with the messenger. This stick is called Omemba, the snake, for it is twisted, and the carved head of a snake is at the top. Whoever carries Omemba is my representative, and my people have to listen to him. Take this stick, and wherever you go, carry it with you. Then he handed me Omemba, in the midst of the great shouts of approbation from the, his people, and of the beating of the tom-toms. When you leave the country, return Omemba to me, added the king. I thanked Mambo for his important gift, and the people dispersed. A few days after I had received Omemba, I went to King Mambo and said to him, I am going to leave you soon. I wish to go all alone in a small canoe, so do not be astonished if, when you awake some morning, you find that I am gone. But I shall not fail, before I leave your country, to bring back Omemba to you and say goodbye. Then I prepared my outfit and packed the things I wanted, among them a small round Waterbury clock, a powerful magnet, a music box, and lots of matches, for these things added much to my power. When the people heard the clock and music box, they thought they were spirits talking to me, and were full of wonder, and often afraid of them. I took some ammunition and fish hooks, for I had to depend on fishing and hunting for my food. I had also some brass rods and quite a number of bright-colored beads to give away to those who were friendly to me, for I should very soon have become a very poor Oguizi if I had had nothing to give to them. I also took a frying pan, some quinine, and salt. Among my weapons I had a double-barreled breech-loading rifle, which I loved better than all my other rifles, for it was the most powerful weapon I had. I could load it either with steel-pointed bullets or with explosive shells, I had named this rifle Bulldog. The only fault I found with Bulldog was that it was too heavy to carry, for it weighed 16 pounds, on account of the thickness of the barrels and of its large calibre. Bulldog was somewhat short. When I carried it, I always had a feeling that I was with my best friend, one I could rely upon in case of great danger. No matter how huge or fierce the animals I encountered might be, I felt that Bulldog could kill them, for the steel-pointed bullets were large and powerful, and I had found out that they could pierce through four or five inches, and even more, of the hardest wood. So I knew what Bulldog could do. This feeling gave me confidence, and I aimed with greater steadiness, and I knew I had a shot to spare in case of merely wounding an animal. Bulldog was well known among my native hunters, who looked at it with wonder and superstitious awe. They were always glad when Bulldog was going with us, they used to say, Bulldog never misses, and always brings death in its path. 
the elephants, hippopotami, and all the wild beasts fall dead when hit by the bullets of Bulldog. They knew Bulldog among all my other rifles, and there was always great rejoicing among my men when, before our departure, I said to one of them, Go and fetch Bulldog, and carry it until we reach the hunting ground, or when I carried it myself. Bulldog was so heavy that by the end of the day my shoulders, especially my left one, felt very sore. In the course of time, my left shoulder became quite black from the effects of carrying Bulldog and other guns. A gun that is quite light to carry the first hour becomes heavy enough by the end of the day. The eve of my departure, I called Ogendaga, the head wife of King Mambo, and pointing out a box to her, I said, Here is a box which is very precious, and I want you to take care of it. No man or woman must open it, neither King Mambo nor yourself for misfortune will befall whoever opens it. This precious box was of tin, waterproof, and contained the scientific instruments and books necessary to find my latitude and longitude, also the days of the week, of the month, the exact time in Greenwich or Washington, and wherever I was. In that box were also four watches, which had been made especially for use in astronomical observations. Ogandaga said that she would take great care of the precious box and then, pointing out to her all the boxes containing my goods, I said, These are also under your care. I gave her a beautiful necklace of large beads, for which she thanked me, and went away, and soon after returned with a slave to take the precious box to her house. Then I called King Mambo and said to him, All my things that you see here, I leave in care of Ogandaga. They are safe, he replied. That evening, the king walked from one end of the village to the other and shouted, so that everybody could hear, The Oguizi will soon leave us for a while. I and Ogandaga will take care of his things during his absence. Let no one ever dare to touch them, and if anyone tries to take any of them, he will have his head cut off. The people answered, He is our Oguizi. His things are safe, and would be even if we were not threatened with having our heads cut off. Towards four o'clock in the morning, by moonlight, and when every one was asleep, I carried my outfit to a small canoe made of the trunk of a tree, and departed, paddling along the shore of the river. Just at daylight I heard the grunt of the hippopotami. These animals are called river horses, because their heads, in a certain profile, look very much like that of a horse. At the sight of my canoe, they gave a peculiar grunt, and disappeared under the water, and reappeared somewhere else, and did this several times. At times they rose so near me that I was afraid they would rise right under my canoe and overturn it. Then they might come and attack me in the water, which certainly would have been the end of me. Further on I met several other herds, but kept quite out of their way. Leaving the hippopotami behind me, I continued my way, when suddenly I thought I heard the sound of paddles and of human voices. I pulled my canoe as fast as I could among the thick reeds which lined the bank of the river, and was soon out of sight. I was hardly there when I thought of crocodiles. It was just the spot for them, for the river was here sluggish and with muddy banks. I felt very uncomfortable, for my canoe was not so very much above the water, and I might be attacked by a crocodile, hiding among the reeds. They are very voracious when hungry. The voices came nearer, and I saw a large canoe through a small opening. I counted twenty paddlers, and saw three captives fettered with chains round their necks. They were evidently slaves that came from sub-tribes further up the river. I waited a while, and when I thought the canoe was out of sight, I left my hiding place.
I paddled close to the shore, often under the overhanging branches of the trees. I began to notice that a large eagle was following me, soaring above my head. Not knowing exactly what the eagle intended to do, and becoming suspicious that the bird of prey might perhaps pounce upon me and tear my eyes out, I stopped, put my shotgun to my shoulder, and, as the great bird soared over my head, I fired. The eagle uttered a scream, then plunged downward and fell into the water near me. I took his talons as a trophy. Ere long it became so hot that I filled my Panama hat with green leaves and dipped it now and then into the water to keep my head cool. Further along the heat became so great that I hauled my canoe ashore to rest in the shade of the forest. I found a rivulet of clear water close by, and there I lighted a fire and roasted two plantains and a part of a monkey King Mambo had given me. Then I lay under a tree and soon after fell asleep with Bulldog in my arms. When I awoke, I looked at my watch. It was three o'clock. Soon after, I was paddling again. I was so interested in looking round that the time passed quickly. The height of the sun warned me that in about one hour more it would be sunset, and dark shortly afterwards, for under or near the equator the days and the nights are about equal, and it is nearly twelve hours between sunrise and sunset. A short time after, I saw a few plantain trees on the shore of a small creek. I paddled in their direction, when, a little further on, hundreds of plantain trees came in sight. Then I saw a path through them, and hauling my canoe by its side, I landed, taking a memba and bulldog with me. End of chapter 9